you are listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with faith leaders and academics to explore deep questions of meaning. Questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as, why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we are very honoured to welcome to our show Dr. Sophia Stone, Assistant Professor in Philosophy at Lynn University and President and Dialogue Facilitator of Wisdom's Edge Foundation, an outreach organisation that brings philosophy to the edges of society. Dr. Stone, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. So where are the edges of society? How is it that... um, Who is it that Wisdom's Edge Foundation reaches out to? So our communities are people who do not have access to the university. They are also in transition. So currently we serve women who are transitioning from homelessness, from prisons, from domestic abuse and violence, addiction, and poverty. So right now we serve the Lord's Place, which is a wonderful center in South Florida that seeks to end the cycle of homelessness. But I also do philosophical outreach to uh, children's centers. Eventually we want to go to prisons. We want to go to retirement centers, veterans halls. But right now because of COVID, I stick to the places that we already have connections with. And when you say you do outreach, what what outreach are you doing to these organizations and and to help these vulnerable people? What is it that Wisdom's Edge Foundation does? We provide what is called a wraparound service. So the Lord's Place gives women shelter. They provide food and maybe they provide job training. But what I do is I come in and I give them philosophy lessons that I would normally teach at the college level, but I would bring the philosophy lessons to the women and I would choose texts that are relatable to their own experience. So I tailor it to their experience. So why philosophy? I mean, if these are people who are struggling with life, who are transitioning, looking towards a new life, Is that the time to sit down and study Socrates? Absolutely. As Socrates says in the Apology, the unexamined life is not worth living. And when you are in transition, and we all are actually in transition right now with the pandemic and having to shelter in place, the best thing to do, I think, is to stop and reflect and ask the deeper questions in life to take that pause before you act, to take that pause before you respond to maybe a criticism or to apply for a job or to take that next step. It's always good to stop and think, why am I doing this? What will it benefit me? Will it benefit my society? Is this something that I really want to do? And these deep questions are the questions that make life worth living. And certainly they're the questions around which our show is based in some sense, as we mentioned in the introduction. But I guess my question is, 
why go to those people particularly during that time? What is it that you're helping them with by adding philosophy to their lives as well as the job training and, and so on? So a lot of the women are recovering from addiction and they do have access to counseling. But sometimes, and I don't just focus on Western philosophy, we start with Eastern philosophy. And one of the things that Buddhism offers is a different framework by which you can look at your condition. We, you can look at your problems. And one of the things that Buddhism teaches us is that rather than suffering coming from externally, we are the cause of our own suffering. And if we know that we are the cause of our own suffering, then we also know that we can be the cure to our own suffering. And when I see women who apply these principles to their uh, recovery, to me, it makes the, what, I, what we do worthwhile. They look at their problems in a different way. It's almost like a paradigm shift. They can, you know, there are certain steps that they take of, of AA, but then when they take those steps and they can understand it in a different framework, in a Buddhist framework or in a Taoist framework, or even with the life of Socrates, they see it in a way like a prism and they're not stuck in one way to, to solve that problem. They have many opportunities, many facets available to them to solve their problems. It's interesting to me that you start with Eastern philosophy. Is there a sense that perhaps Western philosophy, either as it's taught in general to the larger society, as it's filtered down into the larger society, or as people have picked it up, is there a sense that maybe the Western, the, the, the most famous Western philosophical paradigms are difficult for people, have lead to people letting themselves down? Is there something... Almost by starting with Eastern philosophy, is there a sort of implicit critique of Western philosophy or is just the Eastern philosophy easier to access? I start with the East because it's too easy in the West to privilege our knowledge. When I start with the East, it makes us a little bit humble in our intellectual development. That's the first thing. The second thing is that there's more flexibility in thought with Eastern philosophy. It is more connected to nature and harmony of opposites. I find that with some Western philosophy, a lot of it is black and white thinking. It's either this or you're wrong. And I like to start with Eastern philosophy because first of all, it's more flexible in thinking and it's a, it's a nice foundation for them looking at Western thought. So, so given that you mentioned Eastern and Western philosophy, what's the curriculum for Wisdom's Edge? What, what kind of things do you study in general? So we begin with the Bhagavad Gita. And we begin because this is the oldest text that we study. And there we learn about your dharma, your duty, 
and this idea of seva, selfless service, that you do your work, you do your duty, and you're not attached to the fruits of your labor. And this can have a freeing effect with anxiety and stress and the things that we usually are afflicted with in our day-to-day -day life. What I like about beginning with the Bhagavad Gita is that it has become one of these texts that has influenced so many thinkers around the world and most notably uh, Mahatma Gandhi had memorized from beginning the end uh, to the end, the Bhagavad Gita. And so it's a very powerful text. It is, it's kind of like our, you know, we have the David and Goliath text. How do you overcome insurmountable odds? And one of the first steps is that you have to change your thinking. You have to not worry about what's going to happen. You, you have to detach yourself to the future outcome of whatever it is you're doing. And you just have to do it. It sounds like, and please correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like as you're dealing with these women in transition, particularly those coming out of addiction, one of the key things you're focusing on is how to change that, your perspective of life. Mm -hmm. Is there anything, see my, my, I guess partly because we live in a Western framework, um, is, and I've, I've clearly heard you very clearly explain how Eastern philosophy can be very helpful. Is there anything in Western philosophy as well that um, perhaps might be more comfortable to the Western thinker already? You're mm -hmm. Almost sort of transitioning. It sounds to me like you're transitioning them out of Western mindset, which may well be very healthy. But is there anything in the Western tradition that you also think, well, this, is, this has a lot of value and this is what we also teach and share as well. Oh yes, absolutely. Well, the life of Socrates as a man of principle, it's always good to hear what he has to say and especially how Plato presents him in his dialogues. So that's the first thing. Uh, Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics is also quite good. And then we end with the Stoics. So those are, uh, those are the texts that we follow for the Western philosophy. They are ancient texts. They are not modern texts. And then the last part of the class, the last quarter of the class, I focus on applied ethics for the women to, to uh, apply all, all of what they've learned to these, these texts. So, but I, I begin with the East because it's not so much black and white thinking. It's not so much this is right and this is wrong. It's more of a different way of accepting and approaching problems and looking at it from different perspectives. But then once we finish with the East, then we go back to the West after this transformation really of our, of our thinking. Um before we take a break, I'm, I'm struck by the depth of what you're saying in terms of the transformational effect of philosophy. As a religious leader myself, and I appreciate I'm from a, a reformed Jewish community, so we, um, we're not so much in the right and the wrong. Mm -hmm. But as a, as, a, as a member of clergy, um, I'm hearing what you say about the transformational effect of philosophy. And I'm wondering if you could 
sends a message to clergy. Um, I mean, you've, you've spoken already about the difficulty of right and wrong, and that really resonates with me because I know a number of um, certainly colleagues, clergy colleagues in the ILA and in the Interfaith Leadership Alliance here in Santa Fe, similarly wouldn't hold by your right or wrong. But I wonder, is there a message that you as a teacher of philosophy to individuals, to women, particularly vulnerable women, and you're helping them transform their society, is there a message you'd like to give to clergy, to leaders of religious communities to say, here's what's really important when it comes to transformation of vulnerable people? Hmm. The ability to deeply listen and withhold judgment. So it's very easy for us to hear about someone's wrongdoing and judge them for it. And then that comes up with a whole bunch of baggage, right? That we automatically assume is connected with that person. But if, if we do that, then our relationship is going to be limited and their transformation is going to be limited. However, if we approach our relationship with the vulnerable and not have any kind of judgment, be open with compassion and love and understanding and deep listening, then they have the freedom to change. If they see that you have it in you to be completely open uh, with love and acceptance and compassion, then they will find it in them to change. And if, and if they can't change, then they also know that they will be accepted and loved for who they are, no matter what they have done. And that in itself is a good place to be. But with Heraclitus and Lao Tzu, we have this principle that everything changes. And so even when we find someone who is troubled, what Eastern philosophy tells us and, uh, and the West also, is that nothing ever stays completely the same. And so things will change. And when people have that faith that they can change, that their situation can change, and they also have someone right there with them who will accept their change no matter where they are, then that person can feel comforted and have confidence that they can go through the hard work to change. And we can apply this to transgender uh, people, we can apply this to addicts, we can apply this to uh, even people who abuse their children. I mean, we can think of all uh, these, um, we can think of people who uh, are normally uh, do go through some suffering, uh, maybe experience some kind of bias, uh, even people who experience racism, right? or even the racists, right? Uh, if we uh, have deep listening and we accept them for who they are, then they are open to seeing the other side and they are open to, to change. We're gonna take a pause. 
as you say, everything changes, including the fact we need to take a quick break. Um, but that's a wonderful place to pause for us to reflect on that. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil from Temple Beth Shalom. My guest this evening, Dr. Sophia Stone, Assistant Professor in Philosophy at Lynn University and President and Dialogue Facilitator of Wisdom's Edge Foundation. We'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Dr. Sophia Stone, Assistant Professor in Philosophy at Lynn University and President and Dialogue Facilitator of Wisdom's Edge Foundation. And we've been talking, having a wonderful conversation about the transformative effect of philosophy and the importance of philosophy and um, making sure that no life is unexamined um, to help people to transform their own lives. So I guess an obvious question, if you don't mind the personal question is how has studying philosophy transformed your life? Hmm. Thank you for that question. When I was a teenager, I went to a school that was affluent and I was very much into my appearance and thinking that wealth and material things were important. And then it was reading Plato's Allegory of the Cave that made me realize that the way people look and what we call beauty, uh, the material things that define success all just constructs of society and then once I realized that I could turn around from that and be free from that and figure out my own path my own value what I really wanted to do uh, I was able to be free from that and then I pursued a study a life of philosophy and I haven't looked back but that is a way how philosophy can be transformative you can be free from what your parents expect of you or what society, how society values you or thinks you should behave or act. And you can figure these things out on your own. There's definitely, in the answers you've given so far, there's definitely a sense of liberation, which you, you carry through in a lot of um, what you've shared, your own personal liberation and the liberation from addiction or from abuse and, and so on. Um, I, I guess for me, one of the questions is how can we, how can we transcend, how can we liberate ourselves from our chains? Uh, I'm reminded of Byron's um, poem of the prisoner, which he wrote in the Chateau de Chillon. He wrote at the very end, he wrote, you know, even my chains and I grew to be friends. Mm -hmm. um, how do we liberate ourselves from our friends who may actually be harming us? Uh, that's a good question. I think the first step is to ask ourselves, what do we gain from these chains? because there must be some positive things that we have, otherwise we wouldn't be so connected with them. And then to think about who do we really want to be? What do we really want to do with our lives? And then ask, are these so-called chains that have become our friends, these habits of 
being, these habits of thinking, these habits of that we have picked up, are they really helping us or are they harming us? And so if we look at it that way, we can, in a way, I mean, do what Descartes did, right? I mean, he sat in his chair and he thought about all the beliefs and he one by one, uh, this is his method of doubt, one by one took away the, the beliefs that were not indubitably certain. And then he found that bedrock of certainty that he exists, that he is, he's a thinking person, and then he's able to come back. We can do that too. We can find that one thing that can ground us, that can give us certainty of who we want to be. And we can take away, we can excavate everything else that doesn't contribute to that vision that we have of ourselves of who we want to be. I wonder, partly as you're talking, I wonder if maybe something, there's something about the chains being security um, and we're safe. We feel safe because we know them. But what you're doing is you're opening up these avenues of thought, stripping away the pretension almost, or, or perhaps the, the things that harm us in order to, to transform lives, um, which I, I, I just find so wonderful to hear. We, we so often hear about transformation being through, you know, we give people money, we give people jobs, we give people whatever, but if they still think the same way, particularly in self-harming ways, then the likelihood is they're going to go back to some kind of cycle of, of self-damaging themselves, aren't they? Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is that, that sort of, by the sounds of it to me, is, is elevating them away from the security of, of that which may not be positive and, and asking ourselves exactly this. What, what are you gaining by this? Right, exactly. But also to be gentle with oneself, right? So if you are in recovery and say you have that drink or you have, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to uh, avoid, is to be, for, the first thing is to forgive yourself and to just say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm had a, a slip and to move on and say, you know, right now is the first day of the rest of my life. And so not to be attached to that one particular fa failure or not to be attached to a certain outcome. Uh, and this is, uh, this is, again, why I love the combination of uh, the Bhagavad Gita, the Sermon of Venerais, and the Tao Te Ching, because each of those texts help us recognize what we are attached to, but then also how we can distance ourselves so that we can break free of those things that we want to break free from. In our last five minutes, what's your vision for Wisdom's Edge moving forward? I hope to provide jobs for all the out-of-work philosophers who are now struggling. I have friends who have been let go of their positions in academe and provide them with meaningful work. And at the same time, provide philosophical education for people who are transitioning out of prison, out of addiction, uh, help reach out to those people in retirement communities who maybe don't have the means to 
go to a lifelong learning center at, at the university and to bring philosophy classes to them so that they can find a deeper meaning in their life. The other thing is also to provide philosophical education to children because children are natural philosophers yet, and this is the tragedy I, I think of modern life, is that oftentimes their parents don't have either the skill or the desire to engage in these difficult questions that a five-year-old or a two-year-old might ask. And so I would love uh, for these populations as well, our, uh, the young populations, to never give up that sense of wonder that somehow they lose in their teenage and adult years. There's, there's a profound element of hope that exudes from the work that you're doing. What's your hope for the future? I mean, I think you've partially expressed it just then, but, but is your hope essentially that everyone becomes a philosopher? I mean, how, or that everyone can study philosophy? What is your hope for personal or communal transformation? I think there's, there's something like that implicit in what you're saying. And I, I think it's important to, to really hear that, that full hope. Yeah, so, you know, in, in France, everyone is given a philosophical education when they are young. And my hope is for, at least for America, for people to have opportunities to have a philosophical outlook or a philosophical education or some kind of connection to philosophy in order to solve the really big problems that we are facing in the 21st century, we have pollution, we have consumerism, we have a deep depression, we have mental illness, we have all these things. And, and some of these issues are really society-based. And in order to really solve them, we need to come together, but we also need different ways of thinking about them. So my, my goal really is to get us to be critical thinkers, but also to choose those activities that are really going to establish a deeper meaning in our own life. Thank you. If, if people are interested more in Wisdom's Edge Foundation, where do they go? What can they look up? They can go to our website. If you search Wisdom's Edge Foundation, they will, uh, you'll be able to find our, our website. It's a wisdomsedgefoundation.org. Uh, uh, and I'd be happy to, once, well, well, we'll see where, where this pandemic is, but I would love to hire philosophers and um, be able to uh, bring philosophy to whichever organization wants it, uh, whichever organization feels that it would be helpful and, uh, and so for people to be able to have a unique philosophical class tailored to their unique experience. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. Um, I do hope that you'll be able to come back again and maybe talk just about Socrates because I know how much you like Socrates or, or more of what you've been studying. This has been a really wonderful conversation and thank you for coming onto our show and, and sharing the important work that you've been doing.
Thank you, Rabbi Neil. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Soul Searching on KSFR. Uh, my guest for this evening, Dr. Sophia Stone, Assistant Professor in Philosophy at Lynn University and President and Dialogue Facilitator of Wisdom's Edge Foundation. Thank you for being here. So you've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.